Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Oh, Coming to you live on tape from the penthouse of a partially completed commercial high-rise in glamorous Hollywood adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West. Boasting an obstructed view of one of LA's leading cement factories, this is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, once again, the bassist for legendary comedy metal sensations Tame Stick and Death Death Thigh, as well as a member of the LA Art Rock Alt Rock Act, The Mowgli's, whose most recent release is an EP entitled American Feelings. Is that all still true, Matt DePenny? Uh Some of that's true. Hi, Tully. Um, some of that's true. We actually put out two new singles since the last time I saw you. God damn, you're prolific. <laughs> We're trying, man. We're really, really trying. Singles are better than albums. They kind of always were. Yeah, it's a lot easier to... You finish a song, just go record it and put it out. And, so you're not even doing B-sides? Uh, no, at this point, I think what we're doing is as many singles as possible, maybe compile those into EPs and, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe one day do an album again. Let me ask a dumb question. What's the difference between a song and a single? Because you can't... Like, anybody could say... I've got 12 singles. Right. An album is technically 12 singles. Right. Um, right. I guess it's like, just... What do you do if you make one that you kind of know is kind of tra- kind of track 80? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, at this point, I don't think we're recording any deep cuts anymore. Oh, I think, really? I think it's just... Only the bangers? Only the bangers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think just the way that the industry is working and yeah. especially for alternative bands and stuff, it's like, why waste time? Put out a song, call yeah. it a single. Don't bore us, show us the chorus. Exactly. Push it and see whatever whatever money any, anyone's willing to put behind it. I so. forget, are you a Morrissey guy at all? Not really. Okay. No. Because we can still have a conversation about sure. him that's um, value neutral. A thing that I've always found very interesting about him is the Smiths are like, like a top three band for me, and mm-hmm. Morrissey's solo is like a top ten act in and of itself. But the best Smiths album is actually just a collection of singles and B-sides because they put out four albums and then a shit ton of singles. And the best Morrissey album is also a collection of singles and B-sides. There's something about that fat fuck that when he knows knows he's got 12 to play with, he starts to really... Yeah, just call them singles. People will be like, oh, that's a single. Yeah. Okay, I want to check out single number three. Right, 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 right. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. You, you, you eliminate all the ponderous stuff. Exactly. Which is which was pretty ponderous in the first place. Yeah, plus, I mean, with an album, people are like, when's the album coming out? And you're like, well, I, I put out six songs since the last album. They were all singles. Yeah. You know, why wait for an album? It's, for legacy artists, it's definitely the way to go. It's so rare that anybody, you know, 15, 20 years into their career has an album's worth of stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's why it kind of works out. I know Cheryl Crow. I don't know why I know things about Cheryl Crow. That's okay. She's amazing. I love Cheryl Crow. I just watched her on the New Year's Eve, one, one of the New Year's Eve shows, and mm-hmm. she performed so well. She, it's, I mean, it's so easy for her. She gets so lost in the shuffle because yeah. she's, she's such a unique, a unique singular figure. She's the rare, pure pop artist who even like real music people, you can't hate Cheryl Crow, and she's not a guilty pleasure. Yeah, you shouldn't hate Cheryl Crow. She's, right, she's done so much, and she's mm-hmm. written so many songs for so many other people. Oh, what as else well. did she write? I don't know that. Um, I, off the top of my head, can't remember any of them, but mm-hmm. I know that she does a lot of writing sessions and just 
writes for people. She was somebody's backup singer, right? She was like... I think you're right on that. I want to say Michael Jackson, and that sounds real wrong. I thought you were going to school me on Sheryl Crow just now, so I don't know. (laughs) No, no, no. I just... She's she's a good egg. Yeah. She's basically... um, The... Oh, before we get to our subject for today, I have mentioned more than once... I forget if I asked you about this last time. I don't think I did, that you have a cool... You and your bride have a cool collection of stuff in your house. Yeah, we have. Uh, my my wife is extremely into the like horror movie mm-hmm. theme of life. So there's a ton of things. A lot of it's in storage right now because we're about to get ready to move somewhere. I don't know where. Um, but I mean, just just the other day she was talking to me about how she wants to buy a life size Chucky doll. Um, well, life size Chucky is. Still doll sized. Yeah, but they actually made it a little bit bigger than than the doll size one, and it right. comes in this huge box. And I was like, I, I guess buy it. I don't. It's going to scare me in the middle of the night if I wake up and go downstairs, oh, and it's just in the corner. Matt, are you afraid of your house? Um, sometimes, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, there's a ton of stuff, and there's like a just like downstairs in our in our guest bathroom. There's like a huge poster from Creature from the Black Lagoon, signed by I always forget the woman's name that was. The damsel in distress in that movie, but oh, you've uh, got no respect for the classics. I I'm terrible. She knows everything. I uh-huh. don't. But like, I came home from tour recently, and my dog now has a bandana that's the the carpet pattern from The Shining. And if you <laughs> flip the bandana over, it says Red Rum. And I was like, wow, my wife is really going for it. So you have legitimate gremlins. Yes, actual gremlins in the house. Um, the motion picture, and I posted. The a photo of the girl gremlin from Gremlins too. That's right, yeah. And what everybody has asked me ever since then is because everybody wondered at the time, what's up the skirt? And I and I failed to check. Um, home. M- uh, more plastic. Oh really? Yeah, it's uh. Is Kendall down there. Yeah, it's all Kendall. <laughs> but she, but yeah, my wife found that one. That's apparently Greta is the hardest one to find. So makes sense. Yeah, they only made in many ways the second most iconic of all gremlins. Exactly, exactly. I mean, yeah, but she, she's uh, no stripe. But... <laughs> but I think they only made a thousand of those, and somehow my wife. There's found... that many. Yeah, they made a thousand for the movie, oh. and then they were just sitting in storage somewhere, and my wife found it, and I, I keep telling her to not buy more gremlins, but oh. she wants to buy more gremlins. Yeah. So. They multiply. Yeah, they do. That's what they do. I, maybe she's feeding them after midnight when I go to sleep. The reason why I think I would have a hard time getting into the collectible thing as much as I, I love having physical artifacts of things is because of the gnawing suspicion that what I have is not authentic. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a little bit lengthy of a process to like go through and find out, like, did I buy the right thing? My wife bought an autographed basketball from a, a, a basketball player, Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. And I just love objectively that my wife went to an auction and all she wanted to come home with was a signed basketball <laughs> from like 2016 MVP. Sure. He looks like a gremlin, <laughs> but uh, Russell Westbrook, but I don't know if it's, it's authenticated, but what the fuck does that mean? Yeah. I mean like there's in, in my house, my, my wife has a, a signed magic Johnson basketball and I, I'm hoping it's real. Yeah. I, I don't have any paperwork, but it's yeah. just in a glass case. Right. So I assume, yes. That seems pretty official, but isn't that what they would... That's what they would tell they you. They wouldn't put it in a brown paper bag no. if they faked it, would they? Because <laughs> yeah. what I really want to have is a physical article that belonged to Cary Grant. Like yeah. Like a cigarette case or something like that. That would be the most uh, uh, exciting piece of memorabilia that I could own. But it's like, almost how could I know? But my... My family was just over in Europe, and we were in Bruges in Belgium, and there's a museum, a Dolly museum, mm-hmm. Salvador Dolly, 
And it took a really long time for me to wait in the line to walk up at old bell tower with my son. And in the meantime, my wife decided that she would like to own a signed dolly print. <laughs> Great. Which were actually not that expensive. Oh, okay. Which is kind of suspicious. Yeah, that seems a little shady. Yeah. So I do a little Googling. There's this, there's this, all these quotes up because I guess they're trying to spin Dolly. Everybody knows who Salvador Dolly is, but they're trying to spin this museum him into like a Warhol-ass character to really play up the eccentricities of sure. you know why it's fun to have Dolly. So there's all these quotes from him on the walls. And there's one that's, I'm paraphrasing, I love waking up and knowing that I've made $40,000 before I eat breakfast. Okay, yeah. Right? Yeah. So I Google Dolly prints fake just before I spend whatever amount of money on a signed Dolly print. And the reason why he said that is because at a certain point, his manager realized that he could just sit around all day signing blank pieces of paper. Right. And it was worth anything. And that's yeah. how you could make and that's how you could make forty thousand oh dollars before God. breakfast. And then on top of that, I guess he was sick toward the end of his life and the signed pieces of paper kept coming uh, and, 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 and there was a famous thing in the 80s where they stopped a truck somewhere in like yonkers and it had like forty thousand signed pieces of paper oh with Salvador or something like that <laughs> Hun, we're not getting the signed. yeah no yeah don't do it because it doesn't matter i think it if i had to bet i would guess that they were real but i can't live with the stress of having a thing on my wall and never know. yeah you'll always question it no matter what even right. if you talk to every person that authenticates everything yeah you know and, and then do you do you trust those people that authenticate they could be yeah. in on it yeah, I I would hope they are, if they're smart enough. <laughs> That's right. If you yeah. were covering your tracks properly, you would have bought off the... Because the then experts. they're the people making $40,000 before breakfast. Right. So. I'm feeling pretty good about getting the unsigned print now. Yeah, I think you should get that one. <laughs> Last time you were here, we talked about female-fronted music acts. Yes. Not necessarily rock. I don't know if we brought up Sheryl Crow. I think we might have. I don't. I don't remember. But I, I don't know. It's, I've, I've already forgotten things that have happened on this show. I think I've done like six tours since that time, <laughs> and I, I think even on one of the tours, I re-listened to that podcast uh-huh. and still forgot what we talked about. Yeah, so. they're new to me every single time. <laughs> but somewhere along the way, we talked about how we started talking about emo, yeah, and screamo, and pop punk, and all of the various. I, I almost feel like calling it warp tour. Yeah, is the best way to encapsulate absolutely a genre that uh, a scene it was yeah. it, it was multiple mini genres but it was definitely one incestuous scene there and i forget the exact nature of what we talked about then but i i said at that point that i'd love to bring you back to talk more about emo and screamo and i find it very interesting because okay are you do you consider yourself a fan of emo screamo? absolutely i i grew up on it okay um, okay that's big that's yeah. one of my first questions how old are you matt Depenny? i'm 33 are you really yeah Oh my God! Am I old now? No, you're oh, okay. way younger. I, I feel just, pretty old. <laughs> I well, welcome. Until you, wait nine more years until you're my age. I can't wait. <laughs> okay, that's that's big. All right. So, how old would you have been? Who was your first emo love? Um, well, I guess I guess my first like emo love was more in the pop punk world, and mm-hmm. it was it was probably Newfound Glory. Okay. Well, I'll go back to Warp Tour. Sure. And they were most definitely Yeah, they're Warp Tour legacy artists. I mean, Warp Tour's so popular aside from it being gone now. Yeah. But like I just went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I was on tour and I stopped in there and there's an entire exhibit for Warp Tour. Which doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Because it's an important chapter in, in rock and roll. But I, I think it's interesting, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like it never got where corporate music wanted it to get. I feel like it um, never quite got over the hump. Like, who is 
the biggest household name. Because I think that's what that scene was supposed. That scene was supposed to make Motley Cruz. Right. I think maybe someone like Fallout Boy. Okay, Fallout Boy know? is a household name. And in, and in yeah. the '90s, when Warped Tour was mostly punk and ska, I think like a band like Sublime and No Doubt, those were bands that were doing Warped Tour. Yes. Just to start their careers. Right. Oh, know? the ska bands. The ska yeah. bands went all the way. There's yeah. No, 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 yeah. Yeah. Fallout Boy is a very, very good one. My Chemical Romance. Yeah, huge. I mean, Got you saw Mazda. you saw they're reu- reunited recently, and they are. I don't. I don't even know what they're getting paid now, but they're doing like they did a show at the Shrine and sold out in three seconds, and it was mm-hmm. like what six thousand people, and that was their first show back. You know. Yeah, I watched. I watched a video of them playing live last night. Yeah, I actually did as well. Really? Yeah, I was like going down the YouTube rabbit hole, and I was mm-hmm. like, someone cut together a video of everyone's videos in the shrine uh-huh. and made an entire version of the concert. So like you can see it from every different angle from the balcony, from everywhere. And I was like, that's a lot of effort, but that's a super dedicated fan. Someone that may have never seen my chemical romance before. Right. And they finally got to see it. It's amazing how things live on uh, Fletcher from Pennywise has mm-hmm. been on this show. And he talked about, he, he, basically said he almost felt guilty about it that owing to Spotify it's such like a winner take all kind of thing yeah. that he said I'm, I'm not putting words in his mouth he's like kids find out about punk and what do you do you start looking up the patches on the back of people's yeah you know jackets you look up rancid you look up social distortion I mean that's how I found a lot of bands when I was younger yeah. I would go to the local club and see a bunch of punk kids and I was like who's black flag yeah I'm I'm I never grew up with them, you know, things like that. Well, but the difference is when I was a kid, since I'm very old, is I used to go to this record store in my town, and it turns out that I grew up like three towns away from the Misfits. Oh, okay. And I didn't get that at the time that I guess I just thought the Misfits were way more famous than they were because this store was just covered in flyers and memorabilia and shit like that. And obviously it was somebody who was in on the ground floor of the Misfits and stuff like that. The difference was I didn't actually hear a Misfits song until five or six years later when I finally decided to pick up a cassette and listen to right. Misfits. Nowadays, you'd see the Black Flag flyer or whatever, and you would just go check them out. And that's right. what Fletcher was saying, was that people go check out the Rancids and Social Ds of the world, and then Spotify or Pandora goes, well, if you like that, check out Pennywise. Exactly, and yeah. And he's like, there's all these new bands in Hermosa that are completely getting the shaft, because you got to get pretty far down the list before the, the algorithm suggests the new band. Yeah, absolutely. But bands like Pennywise like are playing bigger venues than they've ever played before. And, sure. You know, uh, Fall Out Boy's benefiting from that and Mike Hem. Yeah, I mean, seeing Fall Out Boy on a triple co-headlining tour with Weezer and Green Day yeah. is like... That's huge for those kinds of bands. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were already stadium bands anyway, yeah. but like... That's a fun tour. Yeah, it's a huge tour. My kid's kind of getting into Fall Out Boy, and it could be worse. Yeah, it could be worse. Hopefully, could be hopefully he's worse. starting at the beginning of their catalog. No, 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 uh, no, no. He found a music video on YouTube of some PC game he plays where robots... It's called I think it's called War Robots. Sure. And somebody's stitched together highlights of war robots to remember uh, centuries. centuries yeah it could be worse yeah <laughs> even imagine dragons yeah it could be worse yeah it could be worse i know we've all got to start somewhere yeah you have to you definitely have to so emo yep this is i i consider it for people my age it's a it's a dirty word because particularly being involved with the faction music channel here on sirius xm it was a bridge too far there was all of these this channel that was made for people who loved 
um, you know, uh, punk and garage rock and anything that like, you know, the Mountain Dew, X Games Extreme sure, kind of thing. Sure. And it was just all lined up for Emo to take that torch and run with it. And a bunch of guys in their early 30s were like, that is where I draw the line. Yeah, exactly. I am yeah. not interested in this shit whatsoever. Yeah, the sadness and the the black hair swooped over your eye. Like, none, yeah. none of them wanted any of that. I remember going out on the Warp Tour for a few dates, and one of the tours, no effects, there was like a little, I don't even know if it I guess it was distributed to people who went there. I don't know if it was just a behind-the-scenes thing. They had a picture and a quick bio of every single band on the tour, mm-hmm. and no effects had taken an emo picture themselves with hair <laughs> like that, and it said... uh and it said that they'd formed the year before. <laughs> <laughs> they would, of course, do something crazy like that. They ran that. T- yeah. I remember hearing, I don't know if this is true at all, so who cares, but that uh, I heard that Fat Mike purposely got the singer of Under Oath to fall off the wagon. I, it's possible. There there was a time, I forget which Warped Just because was. he hated Christian emo. Yeah, it's very possible. And Although those like, guys were fucking unbelievable live. I was going to put them on my list for today. Under because, Yeah. Yeah, they're an incredible live band. They're, the album, is, if I'm if I'm trying to tell you, hey guys, you may have missed, you may have been largely right about emo, but you missed a couple of really good bands in there. Right. I don't know that me playing you the record is they almost They almost made my list too, but I when we were talking, I steered away from like the hardcore elements. Mm-hmm. But Under Oath is one of my favorite hardcore bands ever, strictly because the, every album they did got heavier and heavier, and the production elements got bigger and bigger. And then seeing them live, you're like, this is a wall of sound without any backing tracks, without anything. It was just incredible, because yeah. you'd be there all day, and everybody's coming out, and who can scream harder, yep. and who can stop, start bigger, and they're all kind of playing the same game. And then Under Oath would... And whether or not... I couldn't say I love the songs, but... It just this presence, this force yeah. of it that they just they kind of blew everybody off the stage. They really did, and and they're still kind of going at yeah. this point. I, actually, one of the sound engineers that the Mowgli's used to have, he left us for a little while, and I called him and I was like, "What tour are you on now?" He's like, "Oh, I'm front of house for Under Oath." I'm like, "What's that like?" He's like, "It's the loudest show I've ever worked." Yeah, and it's I mean it's impressive. And yeah. but going back to the even fat, the silly keyboardist guy throwing, I, I, his, keyboard throwing his samples in and yeah, bringing his keyboard up, you know. But going back to the fat mic thing real yeah. quick, he there's a thing that I I forget what channel it might have been like Fuse or something. They did a documentary about that year of Warp Tour where mm-hmm. it was Under Oath and because Under Oath was leading Church every night. Yeah, they were. And oh, that's the I gotta watch that. That was the yeah. tour I was out on for like a week. And Fat Mike was going to their church every night <laughs> and like trying to disprove everything. Yeah. And they were just so pissed at the guy. But it's like, what can you do? This guy doesn't believe in God, and all you guys do is believe in it. So he wants to talk shit to you. Yeah. <laughs> it and was he impressive. Was, and he was just the the mayor of that tour. Yeah. I mean, the fact that the last Warp Tour, they were the final band to play, mm-hmm. and their plane got delayed, and Kevin Lyman sent private jets to go pick up No Effects. Oh, no shit. And when they got to pick up No Effects, they were hammered. Mm-hmm. And... In the meantime, bands like Goldfinger and all these other bands were on stage covering no effects songs just to keep the crowd going. Wow. And it was like super groups joining. So it's like that that kind of band has such an insane amount of power in that world. Outside of that world, it's a little tricky. No, of course not. But it, it, it always felt earned when I was there. Yeah. There's this example I use all the time. I was in New York. Well, I was in New York for September 11th, right? Mm-hmm. I am going somewhere with this. Okay. And then, like, I don't know if it was a couple months or a couple of years later, there was this massive power outage. Mm-hmm. And everybody's mind immediately assumed the worst sure. when all the power went out. 
And it turns out it was just a big blackout. Right. I'm, and then I got really blacked out. I embarrassed myself in front of all my coworkers. Was, that was the first time I ever tried painkillers. Oh, good for you. <laughs> it doesn't mix with all the liquor that you have in your It's not going to mix fridge. with any of it, yeah. No, exactly. But I just remember that when all of us strongly suspected that the shit was going down, there were many bosses on the floor of the company that I worked for. And it was interesting how some of them just did not naturally assume leadership roles. Right. But the actual lady who was the VP of the company was like, okay, guys, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And I was like, oh, there's a reason why you're the boss of this company. Yeah. You are a boss. Yeah. And it's the same thing with no effects. It wasn't like, listen, guys, just take a shit. It's no effects. What yeah. the fuck are you going to do? No, it's like they're, they're in charge. He had the charisma yeah. to actually, he did lead that fucking place. Yeah. So shut up under oath. I mean, and it's like, now he's got his own festivals that he tours around the country. Oh, he? Yeah, he's got his own beer lines. I don't know. He he made some choice uh some choice words after the Vegas shooting on stage. Oh really? And I think one of the beer companies he worked with completely uh. pulled it and was like, "We're not working with you. We don't care anymore. Like you're yeah. you're a dick." But he's yeah, a dick. He's, you know? he's a, he is a dick, and he's making it work for him. And if it, and if he comes to the fork in the road between being friends with the beer company and being a dick, you yeah. have to respect that he will choose. And he's now got enough dick. money; he can make his own beer company. He's fine. Yeah, I think you know? I think Mike's doing more than fine. Yeah, he does all right. <laughs> so we need to listen to some music. And sure. I, first of all, the the term emo is it became fairly meaningless. Sure, yeah. I think it's very much like hipster. I that that word gets thrown. Not I'm 42 now, not necessarily at me, but I get that's a blanket put down that I hear from people who like listen to the Jason Ellis show. And I think a lot of times what it meant was it has no uh, evident influence from Alice in Chains and I would not choose to drink Budweiser while listening to it. (laughs) Therefore, it is emo from hipsters. Yeah. Like emo does mean something. I found it interesting that only one of the bands that you put on your list really surprised me. And that is Death Cab for Cutie. Right. In what sense would you consider them an emo band? Um, I consider them an emo band strictly because a lot of the bands I actually put on the list, I, I consider them emo bands because they they were in such an indie place where it was emotional rock. I mean, that's that's how I always defined emo. And it was just oh, like... Oh, that's fair. And they were the type of band that crossed over mm-hmm. when I saw... I, I used to... This is so stupid to say to people, but I used to watch the OC and they were the second band to be on the OC. And so when I saw that, I saw them cross over into pop. Yeah. And that's where I saw their commercial success come. And I think before that, like this record was in 2003 from Transatlanticism. They're already big here. They were big-ish, yeah. Okay. But this is where it launched. It's very Elliot Smithy. Exactly, yeah. And this was the first, like big sink into a show that I had ever heard an emo band get. Oh, I see. You know, because they were talking about the band before the band even was on the show. Oh, no shit. Yeah, like, there were jokes in the show where it was like, hey, don't talk shit on Death Cab for Cutie. And it's like, that's how I know this is now going pop. But I I just thought they were an emo band because of things like this, songs like this, where it's like, very acoustic, and then they had songs even before this where it was like, detuned guitars, but no distortion so it was all very pretty and like jazzy almost yeah you know it was just an interesting kind of band for me yeah so i think it's funny that i think that is exactly where my wife draws the line of the music that she's willing to tolerate listening to (laughs) around me because i think you could like manuel noriega her out of the house sure by blasting (laughs) by, by blasting uh postal service yeah Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Um, who's the guy who ripped off Postal Service? Uh, I mean, there's probably a few. The real... The, okay, so 
Death Cab for Cutie is Death Cab for Cutie, and then the guy does Postal Service. Ben Gibbard, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They will see us from such great heights, which is amazing. I I really like it. I think most, you know, obviously a lot of people just- The the album was great to me, but the process of making the album was actually more important to me. The fact that they- What's the process? The reason they're called the Postal Service is because they were mailing tracks back and forth. Yeah. No digital, no anything, just recording stuff and mailing it across the country and sending demos back and forth. And also it being, it sounds so crazy to say it now, but like an indie rock band that went fully electronic. Yeah. That was a- pretty novel thing from anybody from their scene to be doing and it was such a natural fit yeah it wasn't happening at all and they sort of found a way to cross it over and then became pop i mean it's right. still on the radio every day it is and he refused to follow it up and yeah. so this other guy who i can't think of the fucking name came alive came along and was like well if you won't do it then here check me out and he did that uh 10,000 Fireflies. Oh, Owl City. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's who we're talking that's about. That's the one that you could Noriega, my wife. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, we can be in a yeah. crowded bar where you can barely hear the music, and she's like, oh, my God, it's that thing. Yeah, it's uh, it was never my favorite. It's funny because it's just like it's a copy of a copy of a copy. It's very similar to, I think, a couple of the bands that we're going to listen to today are people that... I, People have told me where Fat Mike got his thing from, but I tend to think of Fat Mike as the guy who started the thing that begat the Blink-182 and a lot of the emote, the singing through the nose Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And if you've heard the copy of the copy, you could dislike it so much that you dislike the original. Yeah, absolutely. And I would distinguish between... Owl City and Death Cab for Cutie. Sure, yeah. But once you've been poisoned by Owl City, I can see where there is uh, there is no going back. Yeah, I mean that guy's actually a pretty introverted guy as well. I, I don't think he's even toured in years now. But when he oh, was really? when he was touring, it was like play the show, go to the bus, talk to no one. Oh really? Yeah. See, was... this is my Death Cab shit. Yeah, this is good. Yeah, this is a good one. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm not sorry. I'm very happy. This is Right. That's straight up college boy shit. Yeah. I mean, that's the thesaurus rock. Yeah. Those were the, you know, those are the albums they were making. There's probably, what, three albums before they had the the Transatlanticism album. Yeah. 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 There's a, yep. Okay. But now transitioning into things that I think everyone on earth would agree this is straight up uh, emo. The first act that you suggested as quality emo is Saves the Day. Yeah. What's the deal with these guys? A uh, bunch of Jersey boys. and right. A uh, lot of emo out of Jersey. Yeah. Uh, New Brunswick was a huge place for Jersey. Yeah. And um, uh, Thursday's out of there, too. Thursday's out of there. A band that people consider hardcore is called Lifetime. Yep. They're out of there. And Lifetime is actually, I think, the major influence for Saves the Day. Okay. Um, I was in New Jersey at the time. I had no idea this shit was going on. Yeah. I, I, I was following things for New Jersey all the way on the West Coast because no of way. it. Um, but this, I picked this song because mm-hmm. this was their big hit. This was the song that... Right, now that I hear it, I know this. This, this was on K-Rock, yeah, this was on all the radio stations, and the producer of this record, I got to work with him, Rob Schnaff, he made this record so beautiful, and he actually took... I, I spent time with him talking about the bass lines, because I was so interested in the bass player, Eben. I was like, what's going on? Why is he so good? And we just talked for hours about that, but I chose this song because they were... They were influenced by hardcore, so their first albums were like more rock and hardcore emo. And then this album, they found a way to be a pop emo band. 
And yes, this is most definitely. And again, you got you got the nose singing. If if, yeah. if you draw the line at singing through your nose, yeah. there's just nothing I can do for you. Exactly. And I mean, this was a song that was on TRL. Like this this charted so well, right? And they had so much success from it. And Chris Connolly's voice is just indistinguishable now. Like people are just copy. He, he's now being copied so much as well, and, mm-hmm. and he still sounds like this live. The rest of the band is not the same band. Everyone else kind of left and moved on, but when they tour, it's a very great lineup, but like he still sounds this good. Well, he didn't make it too hard on himself. Yeah. Because I was watching, I don't know if you and I watched, I, I don't think you and I did watch the same My Chemical Romance video from last night, but I'm like, how is he going to do Helena? And the answer is he's kind of not. Really yeah, he's. Uh, I, I don't think he wanted to do a reunion at all, but the fact that like, there's so much drive for it, so much money behind it. Like, uh-huh. why not? You know, why the hell? That, that's the other thing with right. emo. It's like now we're in a, t- a part of our lives where you're seeing all these bands come back, right? Because wh- who doesn't want to do a 10, 20 year reunion? Like, right? You know, it's it's important to bring back the fans from those from that decade mm-hmm. and like and the fans that were like siblings of those of those people. They got to hear that music, but that band was long gone already, right? So, well, okay, so. Uh- here, I'm going to actually skip to your next one because I wanted to mention these guys in that same breath, or this guy, I should say. I felt like it was very obvious that the powers that be, the major label world, looked at Dashboard Confessional, and they're like, it's emotional. Like, he could be the next Bon Jovi. Yeah. Because he's good looking, and he makes rock that women like. Yeah, absolutely. And yet, I am not aware of, did, did Dashboard ever go platinum the uh, first time around? I think... The second record he did, mm-hmm. um, which I think the the places you've come to fear the most, right? That went pretty damn far. Okay, and but he's uh, still he's playing bigger venues oh, now than he did then. Yeah, Chris is. Um, this I, is totally unprecedented. How many bands are playing bigger venues now than they did in their quote unquote prime? Yeah, and he's collaborating now with the bigger artists. Like uh-huh. he's, he lives in Nashville, so he writes for a lot of people, and he he did just did a, like a solo tour in the UK. And um, Matt Healy, the singer of 1975, showed up, mm-hmm. and he came out and sang a song with Chris Caraba. Yeah, I had a moment with Chris Caraba. We okay. played, we played a festival together, and I was outside my hotel, standing there waiting for like a shuttle to go to the festival, and he's standing next to me, and I fully had no idea what to say to the guy. Yeah, and I walked. This happened up, to me one time with Bob Newhart. Hey, understandable. Yeah. You know you. What do you say to Once the people that Bob you, Newhart is there? Yeah, what I do you mean, have to say d- different heroes. But um, <laughs> so I, I walked very influential in my teen years. So you know, with Chris Caraba, you know. Um, so I went up to him and I was like, "Hey, man, I'm a huge fan. Thank you for doing what you've done." And he looked at me and he's like, "I took this job to play this festival because I wanted to see the Mowglies. And whoa, and I lost my shit. And when we were playing, we probably played like two, three o'clock in the afternoon. And I looked over, and he was there singing the songs on the stage. Oh, my God. And I, after that said, I went up to him. I just, like, hugged him. And he was like, dude, thank you for doing what you're doing. I was like, you're Chris Caraba. Yeah. Holy shit. Like, and I watched his set. And then we've, we've done a bunch of other shows together. Like, great people, you know. He hires a good band. And I think, actually, the bass player in his band was in The Promise Ring. Uh-huh. Do you remember that band? See, I also want to draw, of course, I remember The Promise Ring. I, I want to draw the parallel to me. Emo and hair metal are similar in in a lot of ways. It's not surprising to me that everybody's going around now with the bass player from that and the drummer from this. I think they're similar in that they're incredibly incestuous. Bands that are... Like, you either 
nobody's a little bit of a hair metal band. You kind of <laughs> are one or you're not Go one. all the way. You're not down, one at yeah. all. And it's kind of similar. I guess there's some bands that had more touches of, of emo. But I also think, here, wait, I'm going to play one of mine because this is a good example. I think another thing that people had a, a problem with that I guess I didn't because I'd already been through it with hair metal is the sameness. Yeah. There are so many bands that sound exactly the same. And I remember hearing one cool rock star say one time that they always love the first band that does a thing. And I think they were probably talking about punk. Right. And then the second band's cool. And by the third band, I'm just like, this is... You're like, what, this, are, what are we doing What here are we now? doing here? So I heard that and I was like, oh my God, I never thought about it that way because I listened to 85 hair metal bands. Right. <laughs> and what you're basically saying is, yeah, man, I don't know. The first song from Rat, that was cool, but we're done here. Yeah, I think we're good. Yeah. We've heard it all now. And I've seen it, you know, happen with EDM and with, you know, Cloud Rap. I mean, and- it happens so much, especially in like hardcore. Yeah, it's like, who exactly. can hear the same guy growl over and over again? What's the point? You know? Well, because there's another great example. So here's Census Fail. I, this yeah. is Love these guys. See, it's, what's funny is I was friendly with these guys. They were always cool to me. When I was out on the Warp Tour, it was very hot. Yeah. And I was always welcome in their tour bus. Mm-hmm. So the, I was doing broadcasts that were like six hours long and like four of them would just be census fail oh <laughs> because i was just hanging out on their bus and between you and me i didn't really care for emo at the time right. i'd never bothered listening before that they were very nice guys um i don't think they were listening to me on the radio either right. but I, 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 I i've had this experience a couple times where i become friendly with a band and they assume that i like their music because i become friendly with them and it's right. like no i actually just think you're a cool guy yeah. kind of always fucking hated your band yeah, just playing the game a little you know well, no, 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 no. very often it's i don't want to name a name but very often it's you meet a guy and you're like well of course he's this interesting person who's gone out and done something in the world you're really cool you're interesting to talk to just the music you're into is not the same as the music i'm yeah, into absolutely. i don't i don't like your shit but the weird thing is years later i find this one song and i'm like oh shit i did like those guys yeah this is a great song yeah right but this song buried a lie mm-hmm. could be by 20 other bands. Yeah, that could have been Hawthorne Heights. That could have been Anybody. anyone in the year 2002. Yeah, exactly. You know? And I think that that's problematic to some people. And I can sort of understand their point. But I compare it to hair metal in that somebody starts a, a scene, a genre, and all of a sudden everybody can sort of envision what the top of that mountain must look like. Right. And everybody is just shooting for the top of that me- the mythical top of that mountain, right? You know, and that's why like labels like Drive Through Records, mm-hmm. they got as far as they could by signing twenty of the same bands, right? And you know, spent all their money on a Calabasas house and letting tour buses park there, and they lost it all. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they eventually it's over. They're actually having a resurgence right now. Of course they are, because you know, I actually I saw like they're selling old merchandise or they're reprinting old mm-hmm. merchandise with the logo, and I was like. I want one of those. Yeah. To me, it's like a vintage shirt. It is. That I would pay for. Even if it's a reprint, I would buy that now. You know? yeah. yeah. So, well, let's see. Here's, these are, this is one of the bigger emo bands. This is from your list. Yeah, that's right. And this is like the most emo song possible. So mm-hmm. that's why I chose it. Um, that was an emo countdown. Yeah. This was like. If if voice notes were in existence back then, this was just a voice note of a recording that yeah. made it onto a major label debut. So this is from the first brand new album. Yeah, and I I was a little reluctant to put brand new on the list. Um, they've had a they had a lot of problems in the last couple of years. Oh yeah, what did that what did that dude do? Oh Jesse yeah, yeah. Lacey. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We don't have to go down that rabbit hole if we don't want to. No, we don't. Yeah. But you know what? 
I'll just say this in a blanket term because I think what has was alleged or perhaps even proven I kind of lost track of it about him I can also recall about some twee bands back in the day yeah maybe it shouldn't be surprising if somebody who is legally fully an adult is able to fully tap into teen emotions yeah. in a way that most of us grow out of it shouldn't be shocking to find out that in their real life they relate really well to teens yeah. in a way that full grown adults shouldn't be able it, to it shouldn't be shocking at all right no. and especially I mean he was doing things in a time where there were no text messaging you know there was no cloud right there was nothing to hold on to and now it's like it's, it's just allegations but like I, I believe these people. Mm-hmm. I believe when when that many people come forward. Yeah. You know, um, I actually met one of his accusers years oh. ago, and I believed him 100. percent And yeah. now you go back and listen to these old, brand new records, mm-hmm. and you can kind of hear in the lyrics that he's a dirtbag. There's a lot of you stuff <laughs> hidden in plain yeah. sight, and right. it sucked because the last album they put out right before they were going to do a massive like almost an arena sized tour their album went number one on the billboard charts they were number one they sold 60,000 units in the first week as an album that came out eight years after their last album Uh and then a week later everything went to shit and I was just like like his guitar player lives in Joshua Tree now and does like um, I think it's like past regression healing and things like that you know like one of the other guys like owns a furniture company like they do other stuff they're long gone yeah but this is a band where you don't have to be a band anymore their merch store sells out monthly and you can live off of that money regardless so right yeah they found a a good niche but they also were a band that when they signed for their second record which was their biggest record quiet things that no one knows yeah yeah Deja and Tendu I think was the record Um, they went like millions of dollars in the hole recording that record and I don't even know if they've recouped it finally oh god I love those I I love a good never recouped successful album story the big one in hair metal was I think the second Cinderella record that they got like it wasn't Abbey Road but you know just some stupid studio showed up having not written a note <laughs> and just sat there all day writing. This is why everyone records in their house now. And you know what? Some of those songs, everybody listening, I don't care if you like Cinderella or not, knows those songs because they were really, really, really big songs. Yeah. It did work. It was a successful album, but just the absolute gluttony of the recording budget. There was money to burn at a certain time, and now no yeah. one wants to burn that money anymore. No, it's funny. Unless it kinda... it's like hip-hop or EDM. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it reminds me of like, uh, Tyson Fury is a big heavyweight boxer yeah. now. He's just like, he gives his money away and stuff. And he's like, look, if you look at the track record of, of fighters, we end up broke. I'm yeah. going to end up broke. Yeah. So what the fuck do I care? I can either try to not go broke and go broke, or I can actively you know, seek brokenness. And right, that's what exactly. I'm, that's what I'm just leaning into the problem. And it's the same thing with Cinderella. It's like, it doesn't matter if Cinderella had showed up with 12 songs demoed and here's how I want to lay out yeah. the slide guitar. He, Tom Kiefer would still be broke. Even though Tom Kiefer from Cinderella, I saw him on Letterman a few years ago, huh. like performing. So I guess Tom Kiefer managed to, to ride the storm. Well, you all, I mean, yeah, you find like maybe one or two people from bands like that can continue on and yeah. like, maybe they're doing a casino tour circuit, but it's like, that person from that band is playing at Morongo. Yeah. And everyone will go see it. Everyone will still buy that record that week, you know? Hey, man, work is work. Yeah, I'll take it. All right. <laughs> um, I was going to put the Get Up Kids on my list, but you did, so I didn't hey. need them in duplicate. Great minds. 
classic song title. Yeah. I'm a loner, Dottie, a rebel, yeah. which I mistakenly attributed to Fallout Boy. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Because Fallout Boy had. That's one of the most clever things about them is, I mean, the fact they're called Fallout Boy, if people get the reference, right. was, was solid. I was trying to tell my wife the other day that it wasn't so bad for our son to get into Fallout Boy because I was like, they called one of their songs I'm a Lunar Daddy, a rebel. Yeah. <laughs> Not realizing <laughs> Not that really it was actually Ghetto Kids. Kids. Much different pay grade of emo bands. But. I love when you can, when it's a listenable recording, but you can still hear what a bad recording it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, this was probably done somewhere in Kansas where they were from, and it was just not yeah. a great recording. Like, these drum tones are not good. No. Like, none of it's amazing. This but is maybe 16 track? Yeah, it's very possible, you know? So great. But this band still playing live, still doing great, you know? they. I think the bass player is in Spoon, I think. Oh, for real? Yeah, I think so. I don't know if we're going to change anybody's mind with this. I had a feeling that I was going to sit here and be like, you know, you guys, you all, everybody listen to this. You talk shit on emo for all these years. Well, actually, <laughs> come on. Now that the dust has settled, really listen to this. But no, it sounds pretty much like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, it's like I, I try to keep up with music now. But if you look into my iPhone and check out my iTunes, it's yeah. mostly albums from 2003. Yeah. You know, it's, it's How mo- old were you then? Oh, God. I don't know. Yeah, you're like 16? Yeah, sure, something like that. Yeah. yeah, that's the way that that works. 17, yeah. It's completely inevitable. Yeah. Like, they know that about about people. It's like a radio thing. You hmm. know, is, uh, you know, radio obviously has a vested interest in knowing what their listeners want yeah, to, absolutely. to hear. That just 80% of what you listen to. Like, if anybody listening to this has kids that are, you know, like 14, do what you can to steer them towards something respectable. Yeah. Because it's going to be with them for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Because yeah, otherwise, your child will listen to this generation's puddle of mud yeah. <laughs> until they're and play it at their wedding. And to me, most music is this generation's puddle of mud at yeah, this point. I like, I, I, I've actually been finding a fair amount of, of good stuff, but boy, there's just. There's too much of it. There's just so many goddamn bands. It's so frustrating. I want to listen to everybody because every now and again, I find one and I'm like, oh, fuck. Why isn't everybody talking about these guys? Yeah, exactly. But you got to listen to. A hundred. Why is everybody talking about these guys? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you are a fan of a band called American Football. This is, I don't know that I ever knew American Football. This, um, they kind of like flew under the radar a little bit, but like they came out of the... Are they from America? Yes. What a bunch of dicks. <laughs> but they like came out of the, the grungish era. Okay. It's the same way I feel about like Sunny Day Real Estate where it's like, they were putting out something different in a time where, like, you should only be putting out something that maybe resembles a Nirvana-type band or whatever. Right. You know? And this was a band where it was like, I had never heard a guitar player in emo playing things like this. You know? And this song, I think, was taken from the demo as well. Like Wait, it was taken of, from what? I think the, the like most of this recording was taken from their demo of uh-huh. this song. So it was like, they were just sitting there like the beginning of the song is like you can hear them counting in and, and like starting to like get drum tones and stuff uh, but it was just an interesting kind of band to me I, I was never a huge fan yeah but this was when you talked to emo kids there was a lot of for me there was a lot of like intimidating emo kids that were like they had the the glasses and the black hair and they were super into like reading and doing the nerdy shit and this was always a band i would see on their t-shirts i'm like i don't know that band and i feel like it's too like niche for me like I, i'm not i'm not gonna get into that band yeah well here let me play one of mine because this is right there was that extra 
level yeah. that the cognoscenti always knew about, and um, and, and that to me is uh, here. Let me skip ahead a little bit in this one too. You don't know who it is? Like not off the top. Of my oh, this head. is great. Check this out. Let me blow your mind. I know the song, but I still can't think of the artist. Here's a shitty recording. <laughs> Tell me who it is now. So this is, uh, I think, the third album from Jawbreaker. Ah, and that there you go. that's the thing is everybody who's into Bay Area punk, you recognized all the rancid and the whatever, and then there's the person in the Jawbreaker. Right. And you're like, oh, yeah. okay. Another band that had a huge resurgence. Uh, did he? Oh, they finally reunited. Yeah, they, he refused. They headlined Riot Fest last year. I believe they were the coolest of the coolest. Fucking cool. The thing about them, right, was that they would record an album, and they were so prolific that you would like listen as hard as you could for like three days to go see them, and then by the time you went to see them, they weren't playing that album anymore. Yeah, exactly. They were doing new <laughs> shit. And I think this is like the album you're, you're you like if you're not cool, because I think he like smoked a lot and maybe had like a procedure on his throat. Oh. My girlfriend was. Everything I know about Jawbreaker is second information from a girl that I dated sure. when I was 19 years old. She so was probably cooler than you, yeah. <laughs> way cooler, totally out of my league, and uh, we did not have the internet, so I'm just relying right. on, on her for all this. Supposedly, they were much more of a punk band, and like when Green Day and all them were breaking, mm-hmm. everybody with a clue knew it should have been Jawbreaker. Right. But Jawbreaker was like too good to be popular. Yeah, they're like, we're not taking Even if there was an album deal to have, it's like, yeah. no, nah, we're not taking it. And then I guess he'd had this throat thing and all of a sudden he couldn't the stuff that you're supposed to like is the stuff I've never been able to get into this right. is like their sellout album and yeah like, like these are like this is like a quintessential band of that entire yeah. genre and like again it's a band that I would see the t-shirt and I'm like I, I, I'm yeah. intimidated by that band the album uh, Dear You is actually it's it's a great album from, from top to bottom I'm gonna have to dive back in I'm learning a little bit more about emo today I feel Let's good see, about it do you know these guys because I love the bands like like American Football that you just played which to me would be an example of people who are like, I just cannot get into the emo thing, mm-hmm. might have a shot of getting into them. Because you can see how it fits into the overall warped world. Right. But it's, again, it's not the nasally vocal. It's not the heart on your sleeve lyrics. It's not all of the, it's not living wallowing sure. in all the tropes of the genre. And I would say the same thing about this band right here. Do you know this? Oh. Is this Circus Survive? Yeah. Yeah. This is. Will you listen to this fucking drummer? It's. This this record was very impressive. I remember like playing this record on repeat when it came out. It was and he and Anthony Green still just as good. Yeah, still so good. I just followed this drummer on Instagram the other day just to see him. Just I mean, they're doing a tour coming up too. I think. Oh really? Yeah. This was like a band I got into when I was really into like at the drive-in. Yep. Because it was like, what other complicated band members can I listen to like who's playing something so distinctly different and it was these guys right but for me it's always got to come back to a song and even at the drive-in and Mars Volta I can get into the popular you know one-up scissor and shit like that but it's it's great I get why people like it it's just not my thing I love people who push the boundaries as far as you possibly can of what is a song while it's still this is still absolutely a song yeah absolutely this whole record is phenomenal they're just really good fucking going off at the same time yeah did you ever listen to, we only have a couple minutes, did you ever listen to Desert Parasitos? 
Yeah, yeah. See, Conor Ober's thing, first thing, yeah. Right, is... Right, but it, it was his first band, I think. First but, band. But it didn't come out until Bright Eyes was big, and Bright yeah. Eyes was... I could not do the 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 goatee vocals. And right. In theory, it should have been horrible because it was an indie thing that I could not get into, and it was his emo side project. Yeah. And somehow it ended up being... I, you just throw around top three, top five, top ten. Yeah. This is a Desert Island album for me. And it's one of the biggest things to ever come out of Omaha, Nebraska. Which is really saying something. Yeah. <laughs> this album is a fucking statement about yeah. America yeah. that actually lands. I think I've This little it. fucking turd yeah. actually said something spot on about our fucking culture. Yeah. And he's been famous since he was like 16. I know. You know, that's, that's very impressive what he did. I actually found this album accidentally. It was in the Bright Eye section at, oh, yeah? at Amoeba. And I was like, what the hell is Desiparacitos? Yeah. And I wasn't going to buy another Bright Eyes album. So I was like, let me buy this and see what happens. And yeah. it was repeat, on repeat, nonstop. I got so lucky. I read like one issue of Spin Magazine online in whatever year, 2002 or something. And mm-hmm. there was this little box that was like, here's some other new shit to check out. Like the, Their labels didn't pay us as much money to give it a good review. So we're just giving it this little one. Yeah. And it was Desiparacitos and it was the Avalanches. Oh, nice. And it's like two of my favorite bands of the last 20 years. Yeah. I saw it back to back in this little um, uh, bubble ad. Yeah, that album is incredible. And I think we have time for one more song, which is the only song that both you and I listed for this uh, look oh, back. Okay. An emo screamo retrospe- retrospective. Oh, and you don't know what it is, right? I don't know. Nice. I'm glad we have. Also, ha- gotta love this recording. Yeah, I kind of thought we might have this one together. I, I figured you would put them on the list as well. There's a lot of different ways people fuck with their voices. They were just trying, people were just desperately trying to make something fresh right. in rock and roll and so everybody's doing the screamy thing whether or not you like Connor Ober's thing it was his thing yeah. and that's very much what I'd have to say about Jeremy Enoch of Sunday Day Real Estate yeah God yeah. And like, they'd only gotten a real recording of this I know right? <laughs> I bet that would really kick ass yeah and another band that scared me with the name, like the name of it. Like, yeah. I was just like, oh, that's, that's the cool kids listening to that emo band. It's, it's like too... Yes. It's too evolved in the genre for me. I wasn't I felt there the same yet. way. I listened to the album. I was like, okay, I like the one song. I think I understand. I think I understand. Yeah. Um, did you ever listen to his uh, solo thing? No. Oh, really? Well, then we're going to go out with this because okay. this is fucking incredible. He made an album called return of the frog queen i think interesting and let me get to the good part of this oh my god it's so everybody's got to get to check this out it's fucking crazy albums like this i would not expect this At the Mowgli's, at Matt DePani. What's your new single again? Uh, the newest single is called Wasting Time. It's out now. Um, and then, yeah, we're recording some new stuff as well. Doing a bunch of different things. Love it. See you mm-hmm. next time, buddy. Can't wait.